Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. During this Thanksgiving week, we're spending a few episodes back to back to back talking about how we can show gratitude to God, show our thankfulness to the creator of the universe, and for the one who provided his son, Jesus the Christ, to come to earth to die on our behalf. The same Jesus whose arrival we're just about ready to start celebrating here with the beginning of Advent and eventually with Christmas Day. We've been talking in the last couple of episodes about being thankful and showing God thanks for the many blessings that we all too often allow to go unnoticed or that we take for granted. We started with the prophet Daniel teaching us how to give thanks both in good times and bad. And last time we looked at four of the Psalms of King David to help us see how we can express gratitude to God. As a refresher, we can do that by acknowledging what God has already done through history and through our lives by remembering that God is God and we most definitely are not, by understanding that God will hear our prayers, and finally, by having enough faith in God to expect an answer of some kind. And then we have to be willing to understand that sometimes the answer is not yet, or it could just be no. I thought with Thanksgiving Day upon us, We should conclude this mini-series by looking at what Jesus himself did and said when he wanted to give thanks to God, the Father. If we pay close enough attention, Jesus gives thanks as a way of showing faith in what was to come, not what had already happened, as we tend to do. And Jesus gave thanks as a way of preparing not necessarily himself, but others around him for what was going to happen. You know what? It's about preparation, right? So here's an illustration about preparation, or maybe more the lack thereof. And it's appropriate given this holiday is often marked with images of pilgrims. This account comes from Bill Bryson's book, Made in America. I'm quoting some of it and I'm paraphrasing others, but it's just a short snippet from the book. Here it goes. It would be difficult to imagine a group of people more ill-suited to a life in the wilderness. They packed as if they had misunderstood the purpose of the trip. They found room for sundials and candle snuffers, a drum and a trumpet. One person packed 126 pairs of shoes and 13 pairs of boots. Yet they failed to bring a single cow or a single horse. There was no plow and no fishing line. Among the professions represented on the Mayflower's Manifest were two tailors, a printer, several merchants, a silk worker, a shopkeeper, and a hat maker. 
Occupations whose indispensability is not immediately evident when one thinks of surviving in a hostile environment. With the exception of the ship's captain, probably none in the party had ever tried to hunt a wild animal. Hunting in 17th century Europe, well, it was a sport reserved for the aristocracy. Even those who labeled themselves as farmers generally had scant practical knowledge of husbandry, since farmer in the 1600s and for some time afterward signified an owner of land rather than one who actually worked it. They were, in short, dangerously unprepared for the rigors ahead, and they demonstrated their incompetence in the most dramatic way possible, by dying in droves. Six expired in the first two weeks, eight the next month, 17 more in February, a further 13 in March. By April, when the Mayflower set sail back to England, of the 102 passengers, just 54 people, and nearly half of those being children, were left to begin the long work of turning this tenuous toehold into a self-sustaining colony. Now lucky for them, the natives of the time saved them and taught them how to farm and how to hunt. Yet, these pilgrims are the people we celebrate on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. For some reason, though, they were very unprepared, even though we've placed them on a bit of a pedestal. But you know what? When it comes to the journey of giving thanks, we maybe shouldn't scoff at the pilgrims all that much, because we make more mistakes of our own too, right? For starters, we have, at least many of us, counting myself heavily among this group, made it this far in life thinking that giving thanks is exclusively for things that have already happened. I have to admit that the examples I gave you from the lives of Daniel and King David in those previous two episodes, well, they tend to back that up. But you see, when we want to truly learn something, it's really best to file away those other things we've learned and focus on the life and words of Jesus. What we'll see is Jesus teaches us about giving thanks, even before whatever it is we're thanking God for has happened. It's a different concept. It means we are to give thanks by stepping out on faith that what we need will happen. Now, when you think about it, we actually already do this up to three times a day when we eat. We'll get back to that in just a few moments, but let's talk about a time when people ate. Let's talk about the story of Jesus feeding 4,000 people, although it's way more than 4,000 people. Consider this. Jesus has just wrapped up three busy days of preaching and healing people. In Matthew chapter 15, we're told of a scene. About 4,000 men, as well as women and children, are following Jesus along the hillside, and they are hungry. Because remember, it's 4,000 men but there's probably at least that many women and children. This is easily 10,000 people. Jesus shows compassion. Basically says in scripture, I feel sorry for this crowd because they've been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry for fear that they won't have enough strength to travel. And then they take stock. They have seven loaves of bread and quote, a few fish. So what does Jesus do? Well, you know he provides a miracle that feeds all these folks, but before that miracle begins to transpire, 
Jesus gives thanks. It's just like what we do or should do at breakfast or lunch or dinner. Yes, we pray about things that have already happened. We give thanks for what has already transpired, people preparing the ingredients or the food itself for us. But then we also ask for something that's yet to come. We pray that in the next little while that that food will strengthen us and nourish us. We thank God for something that hasn't happened yet. So it shows that we can do this. But that example I gave you from Jesus is just one example. There are two far better, harder hitting examples that I want to share with you. The first comes from John chapter 11. It's a story you know well. Jesus has a friend named Lazarus who's ill. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, send for their friend Jesus to come heal their brother. They've seen Jesus heal people before, dozens of times. They know he can do this. This is not a problem. But Jesus is busy. He's tending to a lot of different things, and so he doesn't come right away. In fact, he's at least four days before he gets there, maybe longer. By the time he arrives in their town of Bethany, which is just east of Jerusalem, on the other side of the Mount of Olives, Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha are distraught and probably just a little disappointed in their friend Jesus. Well, Jesus hates to see them distraught like this, and so he orders the stone and the tomb to be rolled away, and Martha tries to stop him. She's practical. She says, Jesus, can you imagine the smell? He's been dead for four days. Let's see Jesus' reply from John chapter 11, verses 40 through 44. Jesus replied, Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied, and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, and tie him, and let him go. Did you catch what Jesus said just before he raises Lazarus? He says, Father, thank you for hearing me. Meaning Jesus expects what he is asking to have happen is going to be fulfilled. And he said it before he said anything to Lazarus. It's only after he thanks God for hearing him that Jesus shouts to Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And Lazarus comes back to life and comes out of that tomb. It's pretty amazing. Do you have the kind of faith to thank God for something before you ask God for whatever it is? I gotta tell you, I think that takes some guts, but it's something I'm working on. Maybe we don't think we're worthy of such a thing, but then we have to remember what else Jesus taught us. If we have the faith of a mustard seed, what did he say we could do? We could command the mountains to move. 
So maybe, just maybe, thanking God ahead of time isn't that far-fetched after all. It's just something to consider. I want to emphasize one other example of Jesus giving thanks before something happens. And it's seen in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you, from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After he took the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. What's so astonishing to me is that Jesus knows exactly what is about to happen to him. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's going to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and that he will be captured there. He knows he's going to be whipped, beaten, scourged, cut, mocked, and spat upon. He knows he's going to have nails, similar to what we call railroad spikes today, driven into his hands, nailed into his feet, and he's going to hang there in severe pain for hours. Jesus knows already that he is going to die. And yet, what did Jesus do while in those last moments with all of his disciples together in one place? He gave thanks. He gave thanks that he was going to endure such pain because it was on our behalf. He declared that the bread they were breaking symbolized his body, broken for all of us. And he gave thanks that he would be shedding his blood in a matter of hours. Blood that he called the new covenant. Blood poured out for you and for me and for all of humanity. Now Jesus could have run away. I've described for many people that when I went to the Holy Land, we ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus was less than a football field from running into the wilderness. He probably would not have been trailed there by the Roman guards. He could have saved himself. Instead, he gave thanks that he was able to do this tremendous deed of redemption, this incredibly unselfish act of love for all of humankind. And he did it knowing full well what was going to happen to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't tend to give thanks for a stubbed toe, let alone hanging on the cross. But that's why Jesus is Jesus, and that's why I'm just a guy. So how will you say thanks to God, both on this Thanksgiving Day and beyond? Most of you will sit around a table with others and will be ready to pig out on turkey, potatoes, stuffing, salads, pumpkin pie, and other goodies. Before that meal, you're going to give thanks. And this year, I want you to do something just a little different. 
I challenge you to say a prayer of thanks for all who brought that food from farm to table and that the food will nourish you, as you might already be planning to do. But in that prayer, I challenge you to thank God for something that you need. Not something that you want, something that you need that hasn't happened yet. Step out on faith with that prayer on Thanksgiving and in the days, weeks, and years to come. Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archive podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.